now on this episode of Miami Miked Up, someone who I've sort of been plotting to have on here actually for like the last, I don't know, nine months, ten months since we met back at the Odyssey Beach Music Festival uh, and doing stuff for, for them a number of months ago. But it's Travis Wingfield, who is the host of the Drive Time podcast on the Miami Dolphins podcast network. He also writes for MiamiDolphins.com. So we got some good football stuff coming your way. Travis, thank you for uh, taking some time this morning on a Friday morning just a couple days before Dolphins Ravens uh, to chat with me here on Miami Miked Up. Yeah, I'm really excited to join you, Jeremy. Thanks for having me on. And I, I forgot about that, the uh, Odyssey <laughs> interview. That was last year. I mean, a week in the NFL seems like it's so long. So for last season, right. I, I totally forgot about that spot. But that was a good time, man. So I'm, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. It, it was fun. Uh, we were both just talking before we started recording. Uh, Odyssey folks, if you're listening, we do want tickets to that festival. Once again, we will <laughs> do what it takes. All right. We exactly. will do what it takes. But anywho, uh, real quick, before we get into football, before we get into to any of the stuff that you're doing, I got to ask you, what's something recently outside of work, outside of football that has brought you some joy? So my wife and I and the little two-year-old, my daughter, we went over to the Naples, uh, Marco Island area. We kind of have a, an annual tradition the week did before. You that this, the did you do that this up. past weekend? Uh, this, no, the weekend before. Labor Day weekend. Literally, I was just there this past weekend. That's why I asked. How bizarre. No way. Yeah, yeah. We're just in Marco Island. Sorry for interrupting. That's awesome. No, you're good. No, it was, I, we've been to the, the, it's funny, man. I call it the Gulf Coast of Florida, which I found out that some of the locals are like, what are you talking about? It's the West Coast of Florida. So we go to the Gulf Coast or West Coast of Florida on Labor Day. It's our tradition because, you know, now the season starts and I'm gone for five months. So that's our tradition. <laughs> but man, I love it over there. It's a great time. That sounds lovely. Uh, congratulations on the little two-year-old. I'm, so, I'm sure you. that that child is bringing you joy every single day. Um, so so nice to have a little getaway like that. And again, yeah, I mean, I can attest. Marco Island, pretty cool place. Uh, it was just there this past weekend, and it was really fun. Um, real quick also, before we get into football football, I, I want to talk to you about kind of your path to get here so that the folks listening can know how Travis Wingfield ended up with the Miami Dolphins in this position. So... I want to know, was sports and particularly football media something that was like the dream from a young age? And I believe you're from Washington State. So how did the Dolphins get on your radar? Yeah, it's, it's funny. You know, I always tell people that football is my true love. But the two sports that I played through high school and even into college was basketball and baseball. Huh. Uh, I'm not really a big, big enough guy, I think, to go out there and, and you know, thump between the tackles. Uh, on a football field. But uh, I, it, once those sports ended, I was like, well, I, I got to do something competitively. So getting into the football media aspect of it, I guess, was my next move. And coming from Washington State, you nailed it. I mean, <laughs> in the 90s, like every other sport, like my Washington State Cougars, I was a big Seattle Supersonics fan. I've, I've since transitioned to the Miami Heat because they're so much fun to watch. Uh, Seattle Mariners, I'm all Northwest, Ooh. except for the National Football League. And I blame it on Dan Marino in the same <laughs> way that King Griffey Jr year you know brought in so many global fans for the seattle mariners and the seahawks weren't that great in the 90s and so the dolphins were impressionable when i was impressionable they were always on tv and marina was so such a rare enigma at the position that i just fell in love and the colors didn't hurt you know wearing <laughs> that big star jacket out on the on the uh, playground at recess so it was a combination of things but for sure marino helped a lot 
that 90s Dolphins vibe was certainly a vibe. And, and it's funny because I feel like there's there's actually multiple generations of Dolphins fans not from Miami as a result of those like 72, you know, the 72 team and, and attracting all those fans. And then, you know, 20 years later, you got the Marino years and things like that. So pretty cool to see the way that that worked for you. And, and for this podcast being within the Dolphins organization, what makes it unique as opposed to some of the other football podcasts that we can get in this market? Yeah, we just, I mean, the access is certainly, you know, top notch just in terms of getting access to players and coaches and just being around the team every single day, you kind of get a better feel for, you know, the old saying is what happens between the walls and the building is the only thing that matters. And so being in the, around the coaches, around the players is certainly a great aspect of that. And then I would say the biggest benefit for me is training camp, just because that's like my element. We have a running joke on the post game show on our Twitter spaces show about how no one loves preseason football more than me. And it's because <laughs> I just love watching all these guys compete. And I always tell my, my co-host OJ McDuffie and Seth Levitt, mm -hmm. you can't lose because Either way, you're going to get a positive evaluation and, and learn something about your team. So I would say the training camp and just being around the guys every day is my favorite part of it all. Well, I know you love getting into the nitty gritty on stuff like that. And um, it, it, it's great stuff for those who have, have not tuned in. Um, it's a really great podcast. And Travis does a great job along with OJ and Seth. Um, really good stuff over there with the network. And, I, you know, it's so hard to be able to do transitions in and out of this conversation I want to have with you. Um, but we're going to do it. Um, I want to take a moment to talk about Jason Jenkins. Um, for those who don't know, uh, Jason was a longtime senior vice president of communications and community affairs with the Miami Dolphins. Uh, he passed away suddenly just a couple of weeks ago. Um, and I'm not going to pretend, Travis, like I knew Jason as well as, as you knew Jason. Um, but just like many of the folks in this community, the only stories I have were really positive ones. Um, I was a super young green producer with WSVN the first time I showed up with our camera guy um to to just be around the dolphins and jason went out of his way to come up introduce himself make me feel like i was just as important as any other media member there when i certainly was not i was a 22 year old associate producer um and that just seems to be the type of guy that he was based off every story i've heard so i did just want to give you some space here to to share some thoughts about the man and the legacy he he sort of leaves behind here for the folks in our audience who may not have known him and may not have heard about this yet. Yeah, your prelude really kind of sets me up for what I wanted to say about him because that's that's just what what he did and who he was. Mm. And I was trying to think of the words uh, to to give you here about Jason Jenkins, and I just kept thinking to myself, he's the epitome of this. He's the epitome of this, and so I just thought he's the epitome of every superlative that you can use for a human being, whether it was kindness, you know, intuitive, his preparation as a husband, as a father, mm. as a visionary, we, you know, we all operate on days that are 24 hours long, but Jason seemed to have 34 hours mm. in his day with all he got accomplished. And it wasn't just going by checking off boxes. You know, he made it, like you said, everybody that he interacted with feels special along mm. that path. And, you know, when he passed, I remember thinking, of the many, many profound impacts that he had on me. Like I wouldn't be here, you know, in South Florida covering this team working for the Dolphins if it wasn't for Jason. And I was thinking about my own perspective and my own lens, but then the more time went on and you see the outpouring of love and support and what he meant to everybody, you began to realize, oh, that wasn't just me that he made feel that way. It was everybody. So a, a special, special man that you just, 
you can't replace a guy like that because like I mentioned, the superlatives that we, we talked about, he epitomized all of those things. He just epitomized goodness. That's, that's mm. who Jason was. So we'll remember him every day. Um, you can't replace him. And we, we missed the heck out of him, man. He was, he was the best, the very, very best. I have chills from what you said. And, um, it's obvious, you know, in hearing your your stories and those of everybody else who who got to know him, what what a remarkable person he was, and like you said, it, irreplaceable. Um, and and nor will there ever try to be a replacement, right? Like that's the type of guy that we'll all just uh, look back on with with some fond memories and and remember the type of kindness and hope that everyone who you know stops by those Dolphins offices and, and stops by the stadium remembers that as they interact with other people, right? If 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 the legacy can be a bunch of media members interacting with each other with kindness, then you know what that would be great as well. And and. God, I hate to transition out of that into football. It's what we have to do. Um, I apologize for the awkward transition element of it. But we do have a Dolphins team uh, that had a really good week one. For me, I can't tell you in my entire life a time where I've watched the Dolphins and the Patriots. And from the moment the ball was snapped, I was like, oh, the Dolphins are just going to win this football game. <laughs> um, you know, that that felt pretty good. So a great start, in my view, to Mike McDaniel's tenure. Uh, and some room for growth, a 20-7 to 7 win over the Patriots. So just, Travis, looking for your sort of general week one takeaways before we get into any of the specific players. I think the biggest takeaway for me was the impact of all the offseason acquisitions in, in that first game. You talk about your excitement. I think a lot of that came from what this team did. You know, in the last couple of drafts, certainly, obviously, last year's draft has produced a handful of really good-looking players, some of the Dolphins' best players, quite frankly, in yeah. terms of the production. But this past offseason with the trades, the signings, and eventually the draft even. But, you know, Teron Armstead was fantastic if you watch his tape and the way he would cut down runways and go get guys and pass protection. He kind of changes the way you can call your protection schemes up front. Connor Williams was exceptional out in space, leading mm. blocks. Some of those end of rounds, they ran in the game with wide receivers. He was out there cutting down DBs, which you just don't see from big offensive linemen. The two running backs, Chase Edmonds and Raheem Mostert, both made big plays. And I want to come back to them here a little bit later yeah. on in the podcast. Uh, Melvin Ingram scores a touchdown, you know, bare hands, <laughs> that thing out of the air. That was sick, yeah. It was incredible. I love his aesthetic. No gloves, the no No gloves is things. amazing. Yeah, it's, it's great. great. It's like it's like a baseball player with no batting gloves, too. It's yeah. like that same, like, all right, we're going to grind. <laughs> I have no idea how they do it, but he does it well, and he scores a touchdown. His first game was a Miami Dolphin. Cater Kohu, the rookie UDFA defensive back, has a big day. Obviously, Tyreek Hill. I mean, all those mm. big acquisitions made big plays in that game. And then on the other side of the football, talking a lot about offense there, the defense looks to be in midseason form. And Josh Boyer, man, he was in his bag. He got my my game ball on the postgame show on the radio because of the way he mixed coverage, mixed the rush and disguised things. And, you know, they made so many plays on defense and on offense. I just think that what they have on that defensive side of the football is a, a a group of really talented players that feels comfortable enough within the scheme to be able to not just do their job within the scheme, but even expand that and make plays outside of their responsibilities. We heard about Christian Wilkins doing that this summer, Zach Sealer, and they also talked about Javon Holland in year mm. two already doing stuff like that. So the defense being in midseason form is a big part of this team's uh, potential success, I think, going forward. I think so, too. And I think it's something that, you know, look, no need to overreact to one game against a Patriots team that, uh, looks like they might struggle offensively. We've kind of been hearing that all offseason. But at the same time, I think what one of the 
not biggest concerns, but one of the concerns you sort of were hearing was, okay, it's McDaniel as the head coach now, so what's the defense going to look like without Brian Flores as the head coach and his defensive mindset? And you just remember that there are a ton of legitimate playmakers on this defense. So if that defense can maintain the level of production that they've had over the last couple of years under Flores and company, you can only imagine what what the potential could be here. But a lot of it kind of comes down to quarterback play, obviously. And man, I, I'm not going to lie. I kind of love that there's this crazy, opinionated, <laughs> divided dialogue around to attack a by law. Well, it's fun from an outsider perspective. It's yeah. fun from the perspective of someone who gets to sort of cover the team peripherally and be more of a fan. Because, hey, people are talking about the Miami Dolphins, and that's kind of fun. And so I liked some of what I saw from him in week one. Actually, a lot of what I saw from him in week one. We've heard what Coach Mike McDaniel has had to say about his accuracy, amongst other things. So... You're closer to all of this than just about anybody. What should our expectations of Tua be for this season? And if he's going to be one of those special quarterbacks, what's going to stand out about his game? Well, I, I appreciate the perspective you gave me there because I've gotten to the point to where <laughs> I'm sure you're sick of it. <laughs> a, a random Thursday night game doesn't involve the Dolphins. And we're talking about Tua somehow during uh-huh. the game. It's, just, it's, it's every day. It, it gets a bit exhausting. But the, the thought about them talking about the Dolphins, I guess that's a good point. So yeah. I appreciate that, Jeremy. Well, well done. <laughs> uh, as, as far as what he does that I think stands out is the anticipation and the accuracy in his game. And that was really what attracted, I think, most scouts and, and people like myself that do this, you know, as an amateur type of side gig for fun uh, was was the anticipation and accuracy with the football and we heard all along that you know those Bama receivers were always open and he was putting the ball in space to them well it's sort of but he also was putting the ball right on the money to maximize their skill sets and we had a chance to see that in the game on Sunday when he hit Jalen Waddle for a 42-yard touchdown that ball mm-hmm. does not go to the end zone if it's not perfectly on the upfield shoulder and not to mention the fact that his pre-snap acumen and then post-snap application was able to move that backside linebacker in Jawan Bentley out of that space. So when he gets, I think, completely comfortable within this system, you can't possibly be just one week into the season. Once it becomes kind of second nature to him, I think that he's really going to take those traits to another level and he can really kind of play, you know, we talked about basketball earlier that the crossover there is that point guard that distributes the ball throughout the entire, you know, skill set this offense has. And there's so many dynamic playmakers on this offense. I mean, they averaged 8.2 yards per pass in the game on Sunday. That would have been his highest single game total last year. So you're already hmm. really increasing your efficiency. You're attacking down the field. They had more completions, 10 plus yards last week than I think just about any game last last year as well. So those have been the positives. As far as if you want to say something he can work on to improve and get better, him and him and quarterbacks coach Daryl Bevel talked about it this week. Protect the ball when things break down. He tried to make a couple of plays last week when mm-hmm. you know he was kind of in the grasp or you know, the defensive line was closing in and he winds up throwing the football away and had the one fumble. They both touched on that for something that they can get better at. And if he does that and kind of takes that step and grows into this offense, he can be a really good you know, facilitator of a dynamic offense here, I think. Yeah, and I mean, being that facilitator seems to be what's most valued in this specific type of offense. So being able to have a guy who can distribute to a number of different receivers will be important. But one of the guys who clearly made an impact right away was Tyreek Hill, right? We've all seen the type of player that he is for the last number of years in Kansas City. And it was great to see that in game one, he just looked like himself, right? He was going out there making some big splashy plays. I know it's only been one game, but the dude's ability is very clear. So 
How high on the list can we put Tyreek Hill right now in terms of Dolphins' offensive acquisitions and their impact? I mean, literally, like, ever. I can only think of one and it, that, that might be higher, and he's sitting right behind you right now on this <laughs> visual. So where, where can we kind of, you know, sit Tyreek Hill in that list? I should have mentioned that guy, too, when you talked about how I became a Dolphins fan. He had a lot to do with it as well. That's Ricky Williams, uh, for those not watching. Yeah, yeah, he was he was very, very special in the way he had the speed and power dynamic in an era where running backs, that was kind of where your offense went through was the running back. Oh, yeah. And so to kind of compare it, that's kind of how this offense operated so far through week one. They had so much designed just to get the ball in Tyreek Hill's hands, and you saw what he can do with that. But also when you have a site adjustment, just basically run down the field. I mean, for a 5'10 receiver to pull down a 50-50 ball the way that he did on top of everything else he does, it's outrageous that the skill sets that he has. And, you know, it's not just his tangible impact in terms of the statistical production that he gives you. It's the way he moves the defense and, and opens up things for other guys. If you look at that wheel route that Tua almost hit Alec Ingold on would have been a really gorgeous throw up the sideline. Mm-hmm. If you look at that play, two guys chase Tyreek to the post and he throws up the mailbox, the old hand in the air, like I'm open five yards before he gets to the safeties. Yep. Knowing what his speed can do to a defense and it just moves guys out and it creates space for the rest of the team. So uh, we saw in the preseason also when he ran literally past quarters coverage for a 51-yard completion, which just does not happen. It's it's wild what he can do. And then I think the biggest thing, Jeremy, is the example that he sets on the practice field, in the meeting room, and what he allows Coach McDaniel to do in terms of if I can correct Tyreek or get Tyreek doing these things, everybody else has to follow because mm. – how would you not follow a guy that's been to the Pro Bowl every year he's been in the pros and he practices so hard and he goes so hard all the time that it sets a standard. So it's it's across the board, man. He's been everything the Dolphins could have hoped for on the field, off the field, and then some. Well, we talk about all the time in sports having young players who need someone to sort of follow their example, specifically just in terms of like the work ethic on the field, right? looking at a player and having that level of respect to do so. And when you have a number of young players on a side of a ball, or really across the roster, right? A number of young players, having someone who already has that pedigree that you can follow, right? It's like looking back at, yeah, looking at the heat even for that matter, right? You look at someone like Jimmy Butler and you say, okay, all these guys can just follow suit because he's shown us what that sort of work ethic and what that sort I mean, for him, it's insane, but what that sort of work ethic can provide. And so to have have a player that you can look at as an example of, oh, he's already had success before being here. Now we can sort of see that and follow that. That's got to be beneficial. And we'll look and see what type of impact that can be headed into this week. So you got the Dolphins and the Ravens. Um, the Dolphins actually beat the Ravens in their last matchup, but the Ravens have sort of I mean, realistically, kind of own Miami over the last decade, decade and a half. Uh, obviously, Lamar Jackson, you know, best player on the field when when these two teams step out there. But there are a number of really great matchups within this game. So if you sit here and think about it, and it's really a crazy sort of run for the Ravens playing all four AFC East teams to start their season, which is very bizarre. But as you look at this matchup specifically... What positional groups are you sort of looking at for people to watch this week that these will be the the players who make the difference in this game? I, I think there's two options here, and yeah. it's a good a, a good um, you know transition from the receiver position talking about Tyreek Hill because that's kind of where I start every week, and it has more to do with what I think about the Dolphins receivers than any matchup mm-hmm. they're going to face this year. I tend to think that they are a mismatch for anybody they go up against because. 
you know, that speed element of Tyreek and Jalen Waddle. It's, oh. it's so unique to have a setup like that where you have two really good polished route runners who can do pretty much everything and they happen to be the fastest guys on the field. And then you have depth in that room too. Like Cedric Wilson Jr. Yeah. had a couple of big plays in the game and he's a really, really talented downfield receiver, guy after the catch, big physical presence. You know about Trent Sherfield, what he can do as a blocker and also catching some passes as well. And then the rookie Eric Ezukama had a nice preseason doing some of that same stuff. And so I look at this receiver's room against a Ravens defensive backfield that we'll see what they have available. Uh, Kyle Fuller's a huge loss for them. He went down in the season opener. Mm -hmm. If Marcus Peters can't play, then all of a sudden you're getting very deep into your cornerback depth, which they do have. And they do a good job coaching their guys up to play Baltimore Ravens football. But at a certain point, it starts to matter, right? So if they don't have those guys, Marlon Humphrey went on the injury list on Thursday as well. So if they have to go deep into that defensive backfield, I like the Dolphins receivers against anybody, especially if you're down a couple guys in your defensive backfield. The other one would be the Ravens defensive line versus Miami's offensive line. Uh, it's a big, strong physical group against a Dolphins O-line that is that too, but their calling card is their athletic ability. And so styles make fights, right, mm. Jeremy? So an athletic offensive line against a big bruising defensive line. I'm curious to see who gets the better of the other. That's a big-time matchup in this game. If the that's, Dolphins win that matchup, I think they'll be okay on Sunday. Yeah, that tease just got me. That That's the one where all of a sudden, as weird as it is to not be so excited about I was excited about the skill position matchups, but now all of a sudden, now that I think about you're right, two very different styles going up against each other. And it's it's an example of, hey, how can that Mike McDaniel offense in the way that they've sort of organized themselves and built themselves, you know, lead into what they need? Um so now looking ahead also for the Miami Dolphins, you know, I just mentioned the Ravens and their kind of weird first four games. These first four games for the Dolphins are, are <laughs> wild, like absolutely wild. For those who haven't looked ahead, it was the Patriots, obviously division matchup going up against Belichick and company. Now the Ravens, then the Bills, then the Bengals. Um, and we saw the Bengals falter in week one, but, you know, still they just went to a Super Bowl specifically this week and the following two weeks. You got three great quarterbacks who all play somewhat different styles. You could argue it's almost like a hybrid to get to the end, right? You got Lamar, then Josh Allen, and then Joe Burrow. And Allen might be that split difference in between. So of those three, who in your view is the best of the bunch and, and the toughest assignment for that Dolphins defense? It's funny you mentioned these games. It's almost like a playoff run in September. The, all three of these teams were playoff teams last year, and you expect them to be, you know, back in contention again this year. As far as the quarterbacks, like take your pick. They're all really, yeah. really dang good. But I think Josh Allen right now is on a different level. And I think I'm not, you know, excluded from this group of everybody that picked him to win the MVP this year. Right. And he's you, you saw what he can do in that season opener against the Rams last Thursday. So just the way he seemingly does something every single week that makes you say, what the heck, how, how did he do that? Like breaks the pocket and then throws a ball falling off of his back foot, you know, across his body, 45 yards downfield for one of those many playmakers they have for another splash play. So whether they're, you know, he's playing the position and taking what the defense gives him like he did in that opener, but then all of a sudden you creep up and he can hit you over the top for the splash play. If he starts doing that and incorporating the check down and get the ball out of my hands quickly, I, I don't think you can stop him. You can only hope to contain him to use an old, <laughs> uh, an old adage there. Right. But what's funny is like last year, the scoreboard wouldn't reflect it necessarily, 
but the Dolphins actually defended him pretty they well. Did. They he did. just got too many opportunities because the offense couldn't really sustain drives and they kept mm-hmm. getting put out there. But they did have success. Like it was 14 nothing at halftime in the opener. And he had like five or six drives and only got two touchdowns out of it. Then that game in October, it was a slow start as well. So maybe if the offense can play at a higher, more efficient level, they can get the defense to get that same production against a guy like Josh Allen. But he's my pick. He's he's my pick for MVP this year. Yeah, he's turned the Bills into a bit of a powerhouse here. And, uh, you know, it doesn't hurt when you got superstar wide receiver Gabe Davis, UCF alum. And so looking at these next few weeks, when we talk about how good, you know, these these teams are, when you look at, you know, the, the Bills, you look at those Bengals, you look at these Ravens this week, what would be a reasonable expectation over the next three weeks? Like if the Dolphins come out of the first four weeks, two and two, should we be, you know, satisfied? It's funny because I've been thinking about that myself. And I think that that's what your general consensus would be, right? You get get the Patriots game, get one of these next three, and you feel pretty good about heading into, you know, the month of October at two and two through this gauntlet of three straight playoff teams from a year ago. But I keep thinking about it as going into every game with the expectation to win. And if that's where you want to get at the end of the year in terms of playoffs and contending for a division, then you should have the same expectation. Mm. So I think that you should go into Baltimore expecting to win. You should welcome the Bills down here and expect to win that game and then go on the road on Thursday and go beat the, the Cincinnati Bengals. So will that happen? We'll find out. But I think the expectation should be that you can go and compete with anybody in this league because – we talked about it earlier. This roster has been constructed in a way where it's deep across the board. You got playmakers all over the field on both sides of the ball. It's supposed to be a pretty good team this year. So the expectation should be to win every single game you play. Not going to happen, obviously. Right. But yeah, they can compete with these teams, I think. It's fun to watch uh, the Dolphins go up against a few of these great young quarterbacks. And it really does feel, I mean, thinking about how many guys across the league make you go, oh my goodness, every single week. Like, it feels like right now there's it's like the best quarterback play we have we've had since like you know it was Brady and Manning and Breeze in the middle of their primes and you had a young Aaron Rodgers and like there were just so many studs across the league it feels like we're back in that space so fun to watch the Dolphins up against those teams two quick questions before I let you go I want you know we focused on a lot of the big names we focused on a lot of the you know main storylines here but I want to hear about either a, a player or even somebody else in the organization that we haven't paid that much attention to and you believe deserves some shine. I'm going to go back to a guy that I have been pumping up all off season, partly because I love his explosive playmaking ability, but also because I love the way he sees the game and communicates the game. And I'm going to take running back chase Edmonds, who he had some plays in the game on Sunday where the stats don't necessarily, you know, I, I think, measure his overall impact that he had in that game because he caught four passes three of them moved the chains two of them were on third downs and i think all of them came with broken tackles after the fact where he was able to extend you know beyond what should have been the end of the play and make more for you and i think there's some opportunities for him for him to hit some big plays in the running game as well but also in that passing game aspect his pass protection was really, really dang good. And he talked about that. He was one of the first guys we had on drive time this past off season, because he, I think he was one of the dolphins first signings in free agency. And he said like, I'm going to die in that pocket back there with my quarterback. I'm going to die back there with Tua 
And he he showed that. Like he was mm. putting his face in the fan, blocking guys right in front of his quarterback, giving him that last extra, you know, beat to get the football off. And so I think that his production, uh, the way he approaches the game, the, the relentless work ethic, that was kind of a theme on this football team this offseason was getting guys that set a certain standard. And he does that to the fullest. And to kind of put a bow on that point, I think both he and Raheem Mostert really maximize the speed element, which mm-hmm. can expand this offense that wants to stretch both vertically and horizontally. Cause you get that outside stretch game going all of a sudden you get flow that way. And then you can sneak Tyreek and Jalen down the field or back across the other side. And we've seen what Tua can do throwing on the bootleg action too. So I think that it all kind of marries up together with the way these guys work and the overall skill sets they have. It just all seems to mesh together and chase Edmonds is a big part of that. Great to see an organization. So clearly on the same page, Right, like just everybody headed toward one specific goal of these are the types of players we need to acquire. This is what's going to build the best possible version of this offense. And to do that in sort of year one, it's only going to continue to grow under Mike McDaniel. He's only going to acquire more and more guys that fit his sort of skill set. And so it works perfectly. And it leads me to my last question, which is your favorite interaction you've had with Mike McDaniel so far in his time here in Miami. He seems like a not only like a kind guy, but a legitimately funny dude, like not just funny for a football coach, funny guy in general. So do you have a favorite interaction that stands out for you? Yeah, I do. You actually just gave me a platform to tell a story that I haven't really (laughs) talked much about. It was after a press conference. I think it was like a Sunday after one of the preseason games. And he was talking about, yeah, it was the opener because he talked about Skylar Thompson uh, starting that game and taking the opportunity to give Skylar a, a day to sleep on the fact that he was going to start the game and how that's different compared to coming off the bench. And he referenced a quarterback that he worked with back in Houston, none other than Sage Rosenfels. And I was like, well, Sage used to play for the Dolphins. And in fact, you know, going back to my early childhood obsession with this team, I used to have VHS tapes of every game, Jeremy, that I would watch over and over and over again. (laughs) And one of those tapes that actually turned turned into the Better Call Saul tape that got worn out by the end of the the show was the 2005 game against the Buffalo Bills when the Bills scored three first quarter touchdowns. Gus Farrakh gets knocked out on a safety later in the game. And Sage Rosenfels comes off the bench uh-huh. and leads Miami back from 20 points down to win the game. And so as he's walking off the, the, the dais at the, behind the podium, I said, hey, Mike, you know, if you ever get bored for some reason and you want to go watch an old game, go check out 2005 against the Buffalo Bills when Sage Rosenfels brings the Dolphins back. Uh, from 20 points down. And he goes, there you go. What are you, Sean McVay with the recall? And I was like, <laughs> you just made my day. You've just made my life. So uh, he he has a way of, of those jokes off the top of his head, but also makes you feel good about yourself. So that's my favorite Mike McDaniel story so far. That's awesome. And that's a good one. That That's top tier. And yeah, to be able to have that recall, first of all, good on you for remembering the specifics there. Second of all, <laughs> man, to get that to get that comparison to Sean McVay on the recall, we've all seen those videos. That's, that's a good comparison. Well, Travis Wingfield, man, thank you so much for uh, stopping by, having this conversation about the Dolphins. Maybe we'll catch up with you about halfway through the year again and sort of get the uh, the standings of where they're at, the growth, the things that they'll be able to do better at that point. But it should be fun watching the Dolphins up against the Ravens this weekend. We know Travis will have you covered on their podcast, Drive Time, on the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. Again, you can check out his work on MiamiDolphins.com. Anything else you'd like to plug here before we wrap up? Yeah, we have a new episode of Dolphins Today premiering Friday tonight yes, at 1030 on Bally Sports Florida. So check that out. And then also follow me on Twitter. I'm very, very active at Wingfield NFL.
Yes, you should give him a follow. It will make you a smarter and more informed Miami Dolphins fan. Travis Wingfield, thanks again for joining me on Miami Mic'd Up. Appreciate you, Jeremy. Thanks a lot, man. You just heard Travis at the end of his interview plug Dolphins Today. So now I'm very excited to be joined by the host of Dolphins Today presented by Baptist Health. It premiered last week and episode two is tonight at 1030 p.m. Kimberly Bell joins me now on Miami Mic'd Up. Kimberly, thank you so much for uh, taking some time to chat with me about the show. No, Jeremy, thank you for having me. Super excited to be teaming up, of course, with, you know, Valley Sports Florida. Um, I'm excited that our Dolphins Today show, you know, has been able to now expand the platform a a little bit with your help. Uh, It started as a little bit of a a shorter segment, and now there's so much great content, you know, coming from our boys over there at Hard Rock Stadium and at the Baptist Health Studios. So this is a really exciting time. Yes, it is. And let's get right into it. Let's get the rundown. I really enjoyed the first episode. Um, But for those who have not checked out Dolphins Today yet on Bally Sports Florida, what is Dolphins Today and why should Dolphins fans be tuning into the show on a weekly basis? Okay, so, you know, we love the X's and O's. We love the game breakdowns. We love the play-by-play stuff. But there's a lot of people giving you that content, right? Like, just check your Twitter feed, and I'm sure you probably <laughs> had about 100 different tweets coming from different, you know, individuals. Some of them professional. Some of them, you know, just our, our Monday quarterback folks. You know, <laughs> out quarterbacks. Um, but Dolphins today was really kind of put together to highlight, you know, our fellas, while they're going through the training process, you know, things that are happening on the day-to-day over there, like, like I said, at the Dolphins training facility, um, you know, but then beyond that, you know, different different aspects of their life. Uh, you know, we like to go on the road and catch them, you know, in their hometown. Uh, we like to see the things that they're doing off the field, how they're using their platform uh, from football. We love to see them spending time together, how they're mentoring one another, how they're learning from one another. Uh, and I'm really excited because in this, you know, inaugural season of Dolphins today uh, on Bally Sports Florida, um, we're also going to be covering the undefeated 1972 Miami Dolphins, All right? right. The only team in the history of the NFL to have a completely undefeated season. Um, and it's really exciting because we're going to be kind of breaking down every game from that season, some highlights. We got like the really authentic, um, original footage. And Amazing. it's just such a great walk down like memory, like memory lane. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and I just, I'm a huge fan of, of Shula. We have a big picture of him in our studio. Mm-hmm. And like every time I walk in, Jeremy, like I look at him, I'm like, he was so swaggy. Like, yeah. he was <laughs> swag before anybody else. He had hair, real. he had the shape, he was rocking his gold rolly. Like, he was just, I don't know. Like, I feel like he's so iconic and he's why we've had so many swaggy coaches uh-huh. like since him here in South Florida. I'm like, hmm. He kicked it all off. So I'm really I love that to be bringing folks, you know, this this 1972 team highlight. It's going to be exciting. That is so awesome. I'm so excited for it. And here on Miami Mic'd Up, we really love to highlight the things outside of the X's yeah. and O's as well, right? Like that's focusing on people, focusing on the 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 human element of yes. all of these players who you know you're seeing behind a mask most of the time. So <laughs> that is very exciting. Um, I do want to know briefly about your path. How did you end up here? What what is the thing that that, that led you toward Dolphins today? And, and what do you maybe enjoy most about hosting this show? Well, so I'm a, a radio girl at heart. I've been doing terrestrial, you know, radio for almost 20 years um, on lots of iconic stations here and around South Florida. Nice. But I also went to the University of Miami. Um, you know, I had some roommates that 
played. One of them is now the defensive coordinator for the Seattle Seahawks, Clint Hurts. Oh, get out of uh, here. I had a lot of friends that went on to play at the NFL level, uh, pro bowlers, Super Bowl champions. Uh, so I'm a sports girl at heart. I actually got into radio with the hopes of moving on to sports broadcasting. Cool. But then I fell in love, you know, with having four hours every day with our local community and just what radio really means uh, to the people that they're broadcasting to. But I also love the fact that here in South Florida, we have so many, you know, guys that make it to the next level. So I was really mm -hmm. able to, you know, combine everything that I love between radio, music, and then also, you know, the humanitarian element and the philanthropic element of things. I was able to tap into my resources. Like, you know, again, I said, I have a lot of friends that played at the next level and they always wanted to give back to their community. So if they were doing skills camps or if it was the holidays and, you know, maybe they were playing in a New York or in Arizona or Chicago or in New England, so they couldn't really be here to take home team, you know, I would put together food drives and things like that. Oh yeah. That's make, awesome. That's I'd be awesome. Like, check. <laughs> and we'll make sure that the turkeys get down to Homestead or to Pompano or, you know, out to Belglade. Um, so it's just been very cool. And I also know a lot of, you know, their stories. And it's frustrating. And I'm sure you can understand this, Jeremy. When you hear sometimes the outside noise commenting on these players. And mm -hmm. if you happen to have a little bit maybe more inside knowledge of where they come from and everything they've overcome to get to where they're at, I think you are maybe a little bit more gracious when they make mistakes, or you're mm -hmm. maybe a little more lenient when they do or say the wrong thing, right? Because you know what it takes for them to get to that level. And you know how much they put into, you know, every time they suit up, whether it's practice, whether it's sitting in meetings, you know, whether it's the off season. Right. Um, so that's, that's kind of how I, I ended up on Dolphins today. I knew Jason Jenkins very well mm. for a very long time. Um, one of the most incredible human beings on the planet, uh, I know at his at his service, they said, you know, he will be missed, but he will be remembered. And he most definitely will be. And he's the person, you know, when they were making some changes with Dolphins today, he reached out to me and was like, listen, we've been trying to get together and work together mm. literally over a decade. Now is wow. the time ready. And I was like, whatever you need. And fast forward a few months, here we are. And I'm very, very excited. So that was a very long way of getting no, to where it's but great. I'm, I'm excited. Yeah, as you should be. And um, we did just speak about Jason uh, with Travis, and he had the okay. same wonderful things to say. Um, you know, obviously an incredible human being, and, and how yeah. kismet for you to now end up being able to kind of host this show and, and work with, with him in the back of your mind, right, yeah. as you guys move forward. And tell these human stories that are the types that I know that, that he loved as well. Exactly. So um, as we do move forward with this show, um, specifically tonight, is there anything folks can look forward to on tonight's episode that you want to sort of single out? Or is this more of a, hey, here's what you can look forward to in general? Well, like I said, we'll have our first, uh, you know, feature on that 1972 team, Perfect. which is gonna be really, really, really dope. Jeremy, the footage is so iconic. Like, it's yeah. so iconic. The outfits, the grain. Uh, it's just such a great well, walk Well, the 70s down. have come back, right? Like, the 70s are so big right now that I can only imagine that everything, every fit that we're looking at, we're going to be like, oh, hold on a second. But even for the true lovers of the game, you uh, know what I mean? It's like you're going to see those hits that we don't necessarily see anymore, and you're going to probably understand. True. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, and just some of those iconic moments. And it, it, it because it's the first game, you know, now that we know how that season ended up, it's like you watch it with different eyes. You know oh, what I'm cool. saying? It's very cool. So I'm, I'm excited for that. And again, like I said, we're going to be doing you know a segment on that team every week. Uh, we also have a great mic up coming your way. And I don't know about you. I mean, your whole your whole yeah, show whole is, thing. <laughs> is 
about this, but I live, I live for mic'd up clips. Like when the uh-huh. players are up the field, I love to hear them messing with each other. I love to hear them talking smack. Um, I love to hear just kind of the ins and outs and the nu- the nuances of the game. So there's a great mic'd up. We've got, you know, some very cool human interest pieces. We'll be checking in with Coach Mike McDaniel. Um, it's just, it's, it's good stuff. And it's a great way to kind of recap what's happened since last week's game the you know the win um mm-hmm. and then what we're looking forward to you know next week and, and weeks to follow again it's not about the x's and o's you've already gotten your dose of that right like you've been right. listening to x's and o's be broke down all week long you're ready for the ravens you know mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. we're ready for the ravens right now uh so this is really more just kind of the other stuff that's happening around our team and i think it's a great way to build relationship with them too right like it gives you a different kind of connection to these guys when you get to see a little bit more of their personality yep. like oh he's funny or oh my god i didn't know he loves coffee like that or right. you know it's it's very cool and it's endearing and it's a great way to really solidify these guys in our community when you can find things beyond football that you can appreciate and connect with them on look guys if you've been listening to this podcast <laughs> it's clear the uh the ethical uh mindset behind dolphins today is very similar to what we do here we want to hear about these people and it seems like this is the perfect opportunity for you guys to do so We've got everything, right? You got the mic'd up, you got the human interest stories, and you got a piece of the 1972 Dolphins. It sounds like it should be a great episode tonight. Kimberly Bell, real quick, before I let you go, because I don't want to take too much of your time. You're running around. I know you got a million things going on. But where can the folks follow you, and what else is there to sort of plug for for everybody to be able to uh, keep up with you as we go forward here with Dolphins today? Well, really, I would just love for you to check out the show. You know, it airs on Friday nights on Valley Sports Floor. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at Kimmy B Official. Twitter is the same at Kimmy B Official, K I M M Y, the letter B official, because you know people like to spell names all kinds of different <laughs> ways. Right. Um, I'm on the radio, 93.9 MIA. I'm the co host of the DJ Laz Morning Show with Kimmy B. Uh, that's kind of my day job, but I'm so, so, so excited, like I said, to be a part of the Dolphins family, bringing you Dolphins today, and especially grateful uh, to everybody over on your side of things at Valley Sports Florida. You guys are incredible, and I'm just really excited and hope that the fans love the show as much as we love putting it together for them. I am sure that they will. We are excited to have you guys along. I know I'm very excited for tonight's episode, even more excited than I was before we started talking. So you did your job. Uh, You definitely sold it. Uh, But Kimberly Bell, thank you so much. Everybody go give her a follow. And uh, it was great chatting with you here on Miami Mic'd Up. Anytime you need me, Jeremy, I'm here for a chat. Thank you for listening to Bally Sports Florida's Miami Mic'd Up with me, Jeremy Taché. And a special thank you to our national sponsor in Southeast Toyota. Visit your local Toyota dealers or toyota.com today and take advantage of the amazing deals on their full line of vehicles. No matter your destination, Toyota goes with you. Toyota, let's go places.